Welcome to the Diocesan Digest, everyone. This week we are featuring the forum discussion with Cheyenne Peace Chief Harvey Pratt from St. Paul's Cathedral's celebration of the feast day of Okerhater. David Pendleton Okerhater was a Cheyenne Indian warrior that later became an Episcopal deacon that served in Western Oklahoma. He is also the only American Indian to have a feast day in the Episcopal Church. Every year, St. Paul celebrates his feast day on the first or second Sunday of September. This year, Native American parishioners from the cathedral, Buzz McDonald and Blue Clark, held a short discussion forum with Peace Chief Harvey Pratt to learn about his life and legacy of his artwork in Oklahoma and the United States. Pratt is a prolific artist, a U.S. military veteran, and a Cheyenne Peace Chief. Hope y'all enjoy this fascinating conversation. Here we go. St. Paul's Cathedral Forum. Today is actually a very special forum in that we are in this virtual meeting able to come from the Okerhater uh, Chapel uh, beneath the picture of David Pendleton Okerhater, St. David, and um, we celebrate his feast day uh, the first weekend in, in September always, and so it's a pleasure for us to be here. With me is Blue Clark. Blue is a now retired OCU law professor and published author of uh, several books, basically on, I guess, on the Oklahoma tribes of Oklahoma and also doing business with native entities. Uh, Welcome, Blue. And for the third time, our uh, guest is Harvey Pratt. Uh, Harvey has preached the last two uh, Okerhater Sundays and uh, uh, comes to us uh, with a strong Southern Cheyenne heritage, and he's recently recognized by the Cheyenne Arapaho tribe as an outstanding Southern uh, Cheyenne. He is also the great grandson of Edmund Gurrier, who was a scout, guide, interpreter, and an actual survivor of the uh, Sand Creek Massacre, which occurred in 1864, uh, when the uh, Black Kettle's camp was was attacked unprovoked uh, by the Colorado militia and uh, is something that is still uh, very painful to Cheyenne. He is also great-great-grandson of William Bent. And Blue, tell us a little bit about Bent's Fort, uh, that history. Thank you, Buzz. Uh, Bent's Fort is very famous in the Plains, Great Plains region. Uh, Bent ended up marrying a daughter of an Arapaho leader and became very influential in the uh, growing trade with presence of uh, fur trappers, traders, uh, occasional uh, 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 U.S. cavalry troops passing by, a whole host which uh, grew along the river channels uh, across the 
Great Plains. And uh, Bent's Fort uh, became a focal point uh, for tribal trade, uh, inter-tribal trade. Uh, it changed its location over time, but uh, basically in the uh, Colorado region and became a center of tribal gatherings, inter-tribal gatherings and uh, trade and helped uh, contribute to the splitting of the tribes uh, over time. Harvey, anything to add to that? <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, uh, his daughter, William's daughter, after he married Alvin, uh, was uh, Julia Bent, and she was my great-grandmother uh, who, who, married, uh, who married Edmund Carrier. Mm -hmm. And uh, Garrier, uh, their allotment land is just north of Gary, Oklahoma. Gary, Oklahoma was named after my great grandfather. So, wow. Uh, so that's uh, just just to add to that. That's uh, I'm very proud of this of, of my heritage. Harvey began a career uh, with the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation in 1972, and retired in 1992 as the assistant director and then came back to OSBI and as a forensic specialist and stayed until a second retirement. Was that 2015 or 2017? Um, he's nationally renowned and respected for his work in post-mortem drawing and skeletal reconstruction of both of victims and, and assailants as well. He is a retired United States Marine Corps veteran and served in Vietnam. How long were you there in Vietnam? I was there seven months with the uh, 3rd Recon Battalion and uh, we were there at Da Nang Air Base, the Marine Air Base, to protect uh, the aircraft and uh, the other Marines and uh, we were also assigned to uh, support uh, Arvin uh, military and uh, to pick up pilots that were shot down so we would helicopter in it and uh, pick up pilots. And if we couldn't, if we couldn't restore the aircraft, we blew it up. How old were you then? Twenty. <laughs> There's a picture on the internet that you you'll see if you Google up Harvey Pratt of him uh, standing on what looks like uh, steel plates, which must have been the name runway, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Tarmac. Yeah. Tarmac. Yeah. Harvey is a member of the Council of Forty Four Peace Chiefs. Uh, a Cheyenne uh, beloved group, enlarged a little bit on the Council of 44. Well, uh, Council of 44 was given to us by Sweet Medicine and gave us our rules and, and uh, the old chiefs followed those through. We have four principal chiefs and 40 uh, sub-chiefs and I'm, one of the, I'm not a principal chief, I'm one of the, the sub-chiefs, the way they refer to as a sub-chief. I've been a chief since uh, 95, since 1995. Uh, and uh, we periodically uh, in the chief's lodge and we'll discuss things and talk about things and make sure that we're uh, planning for the, the ceremonies and uh, talk about how we can help the people. And chiefs don't, uh, don't run the, the tribe. Chiefs uh, are the, the spiritual people for the tribe. And it's up to us to make, to make sure that we keep our ceremonies and things uh, uh, as they were. Blue, I think. Aren't there four or five warrior societies? For There's four. There's four. There's four Cheyenne warrior societies. There used to be more than that, but uh, the fifth society is a chief society. Uh, 
So there's four war societies and then the chief society, and, and they all participate in, the, in the, the various ceremonies. But I guess that makes you actually a member of a warrior society? Well, I initially uh, applied once I got reached a certain age, and, and uh, I always kept my little boy name, uh, which was Vihanskis, uh, means, uh, means he's going to be a chief. And, and they gave me that name because I was born in a little house in El Reno. And uh, when I was born, I was a bell baby, or some people call them cloak bearers. And, uh, and when my mother's aunt saw me, they said, oh, look at him, he wants to be a chief. So they gave me that name, and I kept that name. And I, I kept that name all throughout my adulthood. And uh, when I became a chief, uh, I took my great-great-grandfather's name, who was White Thunder, and he was an arrow keeper. And he was killed at Wolf Creek, in the battle between the Cheyenne Rappos fighting the Kiowas, Comanches, Whoa. and Prairie Apaches. So I kept his name, and I took his name because uh, it always reminded me to, of who I am and, and to be respectful so that I do not want to dishonor that name. So uh, I, that's the reason I, I took that name. And, and uh, before, I was, before I was a chief, I asked to, to join the dog soldiers uh, because my whole family were dog soldiers. And uh, so I, I made application to it. And then the chiefs came and got me. The chiefs came and got me, and they said, huh, "No, we want you to, to be one of our chiefs." Uh, uh, we've been. They said, "We've been looking at you. We've been looking at you. We want you." And so, since that was my name, my little boy name, and and I always thought about being a chief, but I never thought I would be. And the NAJ came and got me. So uh, I never did get to be a dog soldier, even though I made application with them, because uh, the chiefs came and stole me away. <laughs> Before uh, any battle, the warriors would always uh, prepare their medicine uh, to protect them in battle. And uh, uh, carried, I guess, that, that bless their shields and what all, what all would they do to prepare medicine? Well, a lot of times you, you have to have a little time, you know, that to, to, do, uh, to do your medicine if you have a special paint or a medicine paint that, that you paint yourself or you dress a certain way. So when you're killed, uh, you'll be presentable to the creator. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll see coming in. So a lot of times when we paint people after they've passed, we paint them a certain way. So our relatives will see my spirit coming and they'll see that the paintings on my face and know that it's one of the Cheyenne people and they'll, and they'll come and greet us uh, into the afterlife. So uh, a lot of the little things that you, that you carry that they give you for for medicines for battling uh it's uh it's important to be first in a warrior so it's always important to be first and uh so that's how come they count coup one two and three and and uh so I, it was important for me to to go to vietnam as a, in a recon unit uh it was the first combat unit into south vietnam for marines and uh i was the only indian and so I was the first combat Marine in the South Vietnam, Indian. Indian. And so I always have to take a lot of pride in that. And, and the, everybody, the guys, my other Marines would say, oh, let the Indian do it. They're good at that. <laughs> so that, you know, those things make you feel good. You know, you feel good about that, being, you know, that people respect you in that way. And, and we respect our ways of, 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 of being warriors and being first. And, and uh, so it's, it's important to us. But if I might interrupt and say uh, you were also selected as a great honor about the uh, Vietnam, about the Native American Veterans Memorial, 
in Washington, D.C., and that, in my mind, follows from what you have just said. I was, uh, I was one of 413 people that submitted from five different countries, Whoa. five different countries, and uh, they narrowed it down to 120, and then they narrowed it. And this was a blind competition. Nobody knew who you were. I was a number. That's all they knew. I was a number. And uh, so they, out of that, when they narrowed it down to 120, uh, then they narrowed it down to five, and I was one of the finalists. And finalists were, were from, uh, was a Vietnamese boy, and there was a guy from, a Maori from New Zealand, and a, and a young lady from North uh, uh, New York, and then uh, the other team was uh, a Native American team from Oklahoma, which was... Uh, Dan Jones and uh, Kelly Haney, and that was uh, five of us. And we didn't know who anybody was until that day. And then they, then they introduced us. And this was this uh, memorial was uh, a seventeen million dollar budget, and uh, they had uh, they had uh, only uh, they had hardly any money at all. You know, and this is all by donation. There's no federal money in it at all. It's all by donation. So. We've raised uh, we've raised a good portion of that 17 million, and uh, enough to build it and enough to uh, to maintain it. So, and that's I think that's important. And and the dedication is supposed to be November the 11th, but with this pandemic, it's uh, been postponed. Yeah, I was going to ask you. It has been postponed. Yes. Okay. The procession. They're expecting 30 to 40 thousand Native American veterans to show up. You know, Native Americans are yes. are the uh, biggest. Uh, Volunteers up to 16% of Native American people volunteer in the military, and all the other all the other nations, all the other races are less than one percent. But 16% of Indians, men and women, join the military to fight for this country, fight for this land, and it's and it's important to us. This land is is uh, God gave the continent, the North American continent, and South to the Indians. There was nobody there before. He gave the Indians came. He gave it to them first. They inhabited, they kept this land, and they asked me that I said, because this is Indian country, this is Indian land, that's why we fight for it. We'll always be Indian land, we'll always fight for this country and this land. Have great respect for our flag and our veterans and our and our victory songs. And uh, You know, in, in our state song, it, it says, we belong to the land, mm -hmm. and the land we belong to is Grant. I don't think Rogers and Hammerstein knew what he was particularly <laughs> writing, but it, it couldn't be truer than it is for Native or Indigenous people, as we've begun to call ourselves some, because we were here before they were Americans, so it's, we're Indigenous Natives. So, uh, Harvey is a well-loved artist, and he works in the several different media, oil, uh, acrylic, watercolor, metal, clay, and wood. And, uh, and all self call Amsterdam. Pretty much, you know, I was, uh, I've learned from, uh, from my grandfather and from my brother. I followed my older brother's footsteps in a lot of ways. He was a great artist, he was a wonderful artist. Uh, and uh, I've uh, always tried to, to, to stay true to, to my culture, what I do. Uh, I tried to step outside of that and painting some Southwest stuff and, and some of some of those uh, Southwest Indians said, that ain't right, you know? You're not painting that right, so that's not what we do. And so I thought, I need to stay with what I know. So I quit 
I quit trying to go into other areas and paint what I know. And I think that's important that uh, you're true to what you know and, and uh, your own culture rather than trying to step out and interpret something when you don't really know uh, what it actually means. What, even though Native people uh, were, uh, were the same, but were different. And that was, the, that was my plan for my design for the National Native American Veterans Memorial was, was how do you incorporate 573 tribes without saying a name or a, a specific culture? And I said, the way to do that, I dreamed, I said, let me dream on it. Let me think about it. And I got up and I made a drawing that morning and my wife came in, Gina came down and looked at it. She said, Harvey, that's pretty good. So I expanded on it and uh, I incorporated uh, a path of life of how we are to how we are to be at, how we're to treat ourselves and treat other people and get into the circle of life, the, the warrior circle of honor and and come into that harmony. You get into harmony with the with the elements, with the water and the fire and the air and the earth. And once you get into there and then there's the directions and, and then there's the cardinal points. And then I, I put lances in there for the defense of our homeland and say and the arrow, not the the feathers, and then I, I added prayer clothes. So my design is timeless. It's timeless. You look at some some memorials and you can tell, oh, that's a, that's a, a from the revolution. And yeah, that's the Second World War. But my, my grandpa could walk in there and he would recognize those symbols. And, and then my fellow veterans, Native veterans could walk in there and they'll recognize those things. And my grandchildren will, will do that. And their grandchildren will go in there and they'll recognize all these things. It's not dated, it's timeless. And I think that was so important uh, when uh, they were looking at those things that they realized that. And this design is for Native veterans, men and women and war mothers and families. And uh, so it's, uh, Native people recognize things and, and non-Natives may not recognize them, but we welcome them all veterans to come in there and participate and be energized and be blessed and to leave some energy there in that in that memorial so that uh, we can be uh, uh, blessed by all those different 573 tribes that are coming there and do a ceremony and it'll become a special place. I think at this point we need to say that this is being built in Washington DC at the Smithsonian Museum for the American Indians uh, and it's a veteran memorial for for uh, uh, indigenous people. It's the first one right off the Capitol. We're right there mm -hmm. on the grounds, and you, uh, you can see the Capitol from, uh, from our remodel there on the east side of the grounds, and uh, it's uh, the last one. And this memorial is the only one that has a sound system in it. Oh. So I can play, they can play uh, flag songs of the 573 federally recognized mm -hmm. tribes. They can play the veteran song, so when, when you walk down there, it'll be very quietly, very softly, and, and you'll hear the drumming and the singing. And, and you can make a request from your tribe. Say, look, we're bringing our tribal people here today, and we want, we want to see the, the Choctaw uh, tribal song and the veteran song, and you'll play those things. And um, do, go ahead. I would speculate as well uh, from your description about the basic symbolism that any indigenous, uh, Maori and others who come uh, would find uh, commonality yes. 
Yeah, they do. The, the Hawaiians did too. They 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 recognized it, and the Aleutians, the Eskimos, there involved. They they recognized all because they had people like that on the committee, you know, to judge and stand from all these different tribes. Smithsonian sent people around for two years interviewing Indian tribes and, and trying to find out what they wanted. So it's it's been a great experience. Wow! In two thousand and five, the Red Earth Festival. Uh, designated Harvey as a master artist and also selected him to be the honored one, uh, which is a great tribute. And uh, Governors uh, Keating and Henry uh, appointed you, I believe, to the Oklahoma Arts Council yes. as well. Harvey's art is displayed in several permanent collections, including the National Park Service, Smithsonian, and Sequoia National Research Center, and the University of Oklahoma. Um, I first saw one of Harvey's paintings at in the National Park Service uh, in Cheyenne, the Battle of the Washita, and it's it's called Crimson Dawn. And I understand there's a story behind that painting with some of the with the women that survived it. I guess. Yes, it's it's a story that I heard from Lawrence Hart uh, that this, these uh, two women were his relatives, uh, Cornstalk, and and they were. When they jumped from their teepee and was running, they, they were barefoot and were running through the snow and, and uh, there was a lot of uh, shooting and, and uh, carnage going on and, and one of the soldiers saw him running, he rode up next to him on his horse and he looked at him and rather than shoot him, he let him go. And, I, and that's why I thought, you know, in all this carnage and all this terrible things that were going on and people being killed, somebody said, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to protect these people and let them go. And he let these two women go and they had an anniversary 10 years later and they met again. And they met again after 10 years and they recognized one another. So I thought, what a, what a great thing out of all of this terrible things that happened would tell a story of, of compassion. And that's why I call it Crimson Dawn as in the morning everything was aflame and then burning. When I first saw the painting, I made the natural assumption that the soldier was killed. And this is what gives this painting special meaning to me. But let me ask you this: Do you have a favorite of all your paintings? I, you know, that's hard to say because I, I like all my paintings. <laughs> you know, I like them all. They all have a meaning. They all, have, they all to me. I tell stories with my paintings. You know, and, uh, <coughs> I like the painting Red Earth. The people in Red Earth. It depicts uh, the various uh, clans and associations and things that people do, uh, and and I, I really like that. It was Red Earth's uh, poster in 2005, so uh, I, I like that. But I've I've done several paintings. I've done some hide paintings. I did the, the Sand Creek uh, uh, massacre killing uh, on a on a buffalo hide, uh, and uh, and I'm doing the uh, memorial in in Denver, Colorado, of the Sand Creek. Massacre, and I'm and I'm I'm doing a heroic-sized uh, sculpture of a young Indian woman who has lost her baby, and she's holding an empty cradle, and she's a Cheyenne woman, and and the way they used to say when that was going on, the people that were dying and were wounded, uh, they said, "Don't forget us, remember us," and and that's what we do now. We try to remember those people, those victims, and among Cheyenne people, the Cheyenne symbol for them is this Indian and this 
is Cheyenne when you just tap your fingers like this. And some people say it's because we had striped arrows, and some people say it's because we cut ourselves when we mourn. And so that's what she did. And she extends her right hand, she has cut her finger off. And she cut her finger off in a, because she has lost her husband, she lost her baby, she probably lost her grandpa, her daddy, and she herself is probably going to be killed. And so she cuts her legs, cut her hair off, and uh, to mourn for her for her family and victims. When will that be uh, established? Well, it, it got real quiet for a while, and now it's picked back up. The new governor uh, gave us uh, a location on the grounds. And uh, it is where there used to be a Civil War monument, and uh, the riders tore it down. And the governor said, you can have that spot. So we're working on it again. Tell us about the Oklahoma Centennial Blanket that you designed. Uh, I, uh, I designed the Oklahoma Centennial Blanket based on uh, uh, the counties and the colors. I have a, a, a bands at the top, yellow and black, and, and the yellow is for the beginning, the new, new day, the beginning, and the black is for the mystery of the night. So there's a mystery of, of what happens at night in spirits, and, and then the uh, 77 stars and, uh, go around it, and there's an opening there so the spirits can come and go through the blanket. And uh, I put the uh, scissor tails in every corner, a, a symbol of the scissor tails in each corner. I put the Cheyenne Morning Star in there, and I put an eagle on it, and the Oklahoma Shield in there. And, uh, and then the color's red, and it reverses uh, to a negative on the other side. And so I submitted that design and, and uh, it was chosen by the Centennial Committee. And uh, then I submitted the design uh, to the uh, Pendleton Blanket Company uh, in Oregon and uh, they asked me to come over there and, and on the way Gina and I were in the, in the cab and I had a little piece of paper, notepad, and I made a drawing of the blanket that I, that I and they wanted to they, were, they wanted me to, 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 to listen to what they would want to do, and I said, I did that in about five minutes. And I got there, and I handed it to them, and they said, that's it. That's the blanket, you know? So I, des I designed a veteran's memorial blanket that's on sale now. Uh, really? And you can, you, can, you can see it online. If you go to my website, you'll see it. And it's, uh, it has the earth colors in it. It has uh, the sacred colors in it. It has this, the earth, the center of the earth and the sun, and as it radiates out, it's water and the green, and, and it has the, the hands. You know, in the plains people, the hand sign means you've defeated your enemy. And so I put four hand signs in it, and I put eagle feathers hanging off of the back on the hand here. And so on, on the east and west side and the north and the south is, a, is an oblong is an looks like an oblong stone, and actually, what it is, it's the grandfather stones that the museum put on each corner, east, west, north, and south. And they have, and the, the uh, north stone came out of northern Canada, and it's four billion years old. The south stone came out of uh, Chile, came all the way to Chile, brought up here. The east stone uh, came out of South Carolina, and it sits on the east side. And the west side is a stone that came out of Hawaii. Because Hawaii is the newest, the newest little uh, island, uh, and they said we're going to loan you our stone. You can't have it for 25 years. You can keep it, but then in 25 years, we're going to come and get it. But we'll bring you another one because those stones are our ancestors. Because that's where we sprang from. 
So, and you know, it's just little interesting things like that. So I put all those things in that blanket, and they said, hey, Harvey, that's, Jesus. that's it. Jesus. You mentioned you had an ancestor that was killed at, Wolf, at the Battle of Wolf Creek. Yeah. Uh, an interesting story is that, that a Cheyenne warrior, Sandman, was unearthed in, in uh, 1973, but he'd been killed in the Battle of Wolf Creek in 1837. And had, when he was uncovered, uh, he was found in full Cheyenne regalia, uh, meaning that he was obviously a man of great importance. Uh, the Battle of Wolf Creek was a battle between Nation. Cheyenne and, and then the Kiowas and, and Comanches against them. And, uh, and, and you actually had an ancestor was killed there. Uh, yeah, Pike Thunder. In, Pike Thunder was killed. In, was 2000, in 2001, uh, under the direction of the Cheyenne tribe and I guess the state of Oklahoma, Harvey was asked to do a skeletal reconstruction. That's 164 years after Sandman was actually killed. And uh, we talked some about the medicine that warriors carried into battle with them. And, and, uh, when Harvey prepared to do this reconstruction, this, the warrior's medicine was still strong, and uh, you had to go through some steps before you were able to, to start talking a little bit about that, if you would. Well, he was at OU, and they, and they had him in, in, the, in the bone room, and it's where all these prehistoric animals were, you know, thousands of years old bones, and they had him in a, on a table, and they had, a, had him covered, and, and Gene and I went in there, and, and uh, we were took the cover off and I said, well, let's take some photographs. I said, so we'll see a progression of how we're going to do this. And so uh, Gina took the camera and, and tried to take his picture and the camera wouldn't work. She turned to me, camera worked. Took back over here, camera wouldn't work. Took to me, camera took my picture again. So I said, let's wait. I said, we got, we got this Cheyenne guy coming here and I said, he's going to do a ceremony on this. I said, it's not doing anything else. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Gordon Yellowman came in and he did a ceremony and he blessed us and, and uh, we were able to take a picture. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we uh, we reconstructed him. He had uh, in his in his grave was found right at the corner of a house. Oh. It was no further away than this wall from the corner of the house. Oh. And it and it was kind of on a slope and it and it washed away and they started seeing some bones and they called in the the historical society to come in and, and dig him up. They they trenched around him and slid a piece of metal and lifted the whole grave out. Oh, and and wow. he had uh, he had conchos tied in his hair. He had uh, uh, steel armbands, uh, coiled armbands, and the one on his left arm was cut in pieces so that uh, they could get. He apparently had broken that arm, and they took they cut it, but they didn't want to destroy it, so they just cut it in pieces. So they could slip it off of him, and then he put it back on him. And he had conchos tied in his hair. He had uh, arrows. He had a knife. He had uh, buffalo hide and leggings and beaded moccasins. And uh, he had all those things in there with him. Uh, so that uh, we gathered all those things up, and we duplicated them and put them on my sculpture. And then when we took Sandman back to uh, Fort Supply, 
they reburied it. We took all of his things that he originally had and reburied it there. We didn't keep, we didn't keep it. We put everything with him because that's what everything he was supposed to take with him. He was well thought of. Apparently, he was, he was uh, uh, well dressed. And when they told me that I was reconstructing a uh, a man from uh, that battle, a Cheyenne man, I thought that could be my grandpa. That could be my great grandpa. We said he was a suicide man. He gave up his life. He said he was an arrow keeper. And when those 44 uh, dogs, not, they were uh, bowstrings. Those bowstrings wanted to go on a, on a raid and, and they wanted him to go ahead and, and bless the arrows and have that ceremony. He said, it's not time yet. And uh, they got after him and they whipped him with their, with their quirts. And he said, this is, this is gonna be bad. And, and, but he did it and they left and they got caught out on the plains and were all killed. They killed all of them. The Kiowas and the Comanches killed them all. And uh, so they they made peace later on in, in 38, 39, they made peace. And, uh, but my grandpa said, uh, a lot of these people blamed me for the, for losing their relatives because I wouldn't, that ceremony, and, and, they, and I cursed them, and they blamed me. He said, I'm going to give up my life in this fight. So they called them suicide bullets. They, they promised to give their life up in a battle, and that's what he did. He was an old man. He wasn't some kid. He was an old man. He said, but I'm going to die in there. Wow. That's an amazing story. Um, and the Cheyenne wanted this to be a dignified uh, reconstruction, repatriated and burial back at Fort Supply. And uh, we've come to the time to close our forum, but I wanted to... Uh, Offer it in closing a quote that Harvey made regarding Sandman. He said, Human life is important. It is not a matter of the present, it is a matter of life that someone lived, sometime, somewhere. This individual contributed to us all, and we should respect that spark of humanity. This man touched those he lived with, and he touches us now. I'd say that was true then, and it's true now. So. Harvey, thank you for well, thank you joining for us me. again. I'm, I'm sure it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing uh, for all. Of for us. those of you who are watching this, if you have questions, contact us at St. Paul's, and we'll either go to Harvey or Blue and come up with an answer. Because you know, this has been a most interesting forum. Thank you for watching it.